Good morning, listeners. You're welcome to this week's Agri-Report. I'm Jim Finn. Later on in the programme, I will be talking to John Daly from Dairy Master. I will also be talking to Lorcan Roach Kelly, who is the Agri-Business Editor with the Farmer's Journal. And finally, I will have a piece on farm safety. My first guest this morning is Roisin McManus, and Roisin is a Walsh fellow in the Chagas office in Nina. And Roisin and I are going to talk about things like water quality, planning for storage, the close period, there has been some changes to it. And we're also going to talk a little bit towards the end of the programme about MCPA, which really is spraying for rushes. Good morning, Roisin, and thanks very much for joining us. Good morning, Jim. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Let's start off there. You want to talk about water quality, and particularly, I presume, water quality in Tipperary. Yeah, so the EPA recently published a water quality report, and this was from between 2016 and 2021. So results from this report showed that at least half of the surface water bodies in Ireland are not as ecologically healthy or resilient as they should be. So during this monitoring period, the number of water bodies impacted by agriculture has increased by nearly 30% since the last assessment, which was done between 2013 and 2018. So in Tipperary, the impact is mainly evident in rivers. Only 33% of rivers in Tipperary are in high or good ecological status, which is kind of worrying for the county. So the main causes are loss of excess nutrients from slurry, chemical fertiliser, sediment and pesticides to waterways. Another issue which I have seen myself from visiting dairy farms in is farmyard issues and storage issues. Um, as you're aware yourself, Jim, there has been some very heavy rainfall the last couple of weeks and this has had a major impact on farmers with uncovered or unroofed tanks. Mm-hmm. So I think that farmers in this situation, they need to consider either covering tanks or planning for additional storage. Um, with inadequate slurry storage and poor management of the available storage combined to pose a significant threat to water quality. In the most serious case, it's, have, it's leading to farmers having to go out during the closed period to spread slurry, and this is increasing the risk of nutrient and pathogen losses to water. Can we move on then to the changes, Roisin, to, uh, to the closed period, and, and also the changes that are likely to be coming down the line? There has been changes this year and there will be more next year, am I right? Yeah, that's right. So changes to the closed period of slurry and soiled water have been enforced this year and for next year. So it's increasing the length of the closed period each year. Um, as you're aware, the closed period started the 8th of October this year. So spreading has been prohibited since the heavy rainfall. And this is this has caused major problems for farmers because their tanks, if their tanks were uncovered, they were filling up and if they haven't got separate storage for soiled water, they weren't able to get out with this with this um, slurry. Mm-hmm. So next year, the closed period will begin on the 1st of October. So the spreading of soiled water in recent years um, has always been allowed all year round. But um, this year, there's going to be a closed period between the 21st and 31st of December. And then in 2023, it'll be between the 10th of December and the 31st of December. And then in 2024, it'll be a full month's storage you'll need for soiled water. So between the 1st of December and 31st. But this is with the exception of winter 
slash like liquid milk producers. However, in 2025 winter, our liquid milk producers will need a mo- also need a month storage for soil water. Wow. So like yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah. So if you're a farmer, can like considering expansion of storage at the minute, I highly recommend probably putting in separate storage for soil water. So this is like your dairy washings and like water that's mixing with dirty yards. And ideally, you'd hope to cover that tank, but that'll obviously depend on your farmyard. So storing dirty water and dairy washings with slurry will only take up more of your slurry storage. So another thing that we've noticed from doing farmyard assessments is like something small, just like the quality of the gutter, gutters and downpipes on farm. So collecting and diverting clean water that falls on sheds is important because it minimizes the amount of water mixing with dirty yards. So a drainage system to recycle this water is recommended. And like if you recycle the water from that you collect on from the roof, like you can use that for, for washing out the parlor, for example. So in Chagas, what we say is like when you're building new facilities, you need to, as far as possible, to look beyond meeting the minimum storage requirements. So as rule of thumb, an additional 20% storage for dairy cows and 10% for other stock will give farmers some comfort in the springtime. And it'll give you flexibility if the spring of next year brings like a wet period and ground conditions are poor. Okay, you're talking about having storage for, we'd say, water that comes off the sheds. Would you be advocating then or would Chagas be advocating that when they go out to and the farm yard that uh, it might be a good idea to put in a tank to store that clean water and then use it for various other reasons rather than allowing it to just uh, go back into the ground through some sort of ducting. Yeah, so some people are collecting it and diverting it into the drain but then you have situations where they're collecting the water and they're harvesting it Mm -hmm. through like a UV filter and they're using it to for the drinkers, for cows, or they're using it maybe, they're harvesting it and using it in the house or, mm-hmm. um, like I said there, like recycling it and using it again maybe to wash down the parlour or to wash out the collecting yard. So, like, you know, every bit of water you can collect it minimises the amount of water you produce on the farm. Of course, that sounds like a very good, a good idea. And let's hope that some farmers, uh, you know, take up the hint and uh, maybe the next time they're doing a development will consider harvesting some of the rainwater that comes off their sheds. Now, you also wanted to talk to me about MCPA, the spray for rushes. Yeah, so I'm just going to give a quick update Mm -hmm. from the ASSET programme. So there's been two pesticide exceedances in Tipperary in recent times. So in September in Dundrum, water quality supply detected MCPA exceedances. And then in November, Carrigan Shore water supply coming from Linnan River, both MCPA and 2,4-D were detected. So the figure for 2,4-D is very high, and this could relate to spraying ragwort, considering the time of the year. Mm-hmm. So the exceedance for MCPA is also disturbing, as this product is not for use between the end of September and the beginning of March. So this was found... The, this was found during November, so like there, there should have been a closed period on MCPA at, MCPA at that stage anyway. So like what we're seeing is that MCPA is still the most commonly detected pesticide in drinking water supplies. Um, because MCPA is very soluble, 
it does not bind to soil particles and therefore it's more prone to leaching rushes thrive in poorly drained areas with a water table near the surface and you can see why runoff can potentially occur. So another thing that's worth noting is that a single drop of MCPA can contaminate a stream for more than 30 kilometres. Right, so it's very potent. Uh, as far it is, yeah. 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 Okay, anything else you'd like to bring up this morning, Roisin? I suppose maybe I might just give three best guidelines right. for farmers for the use of MCPA. So, like I mentioned earlier, that there is a close period between the end of September and the beginning of March. Another thing that farmers need to observe is a buffer zone of five metres when they are using it, and this is a, to keep out from five metres from a water course or a drain. Another thing would be to take... Um, every precaution during mixing and preparation to avoid spills and drips. And finally, like when you're washing out the sprayer after using MCPA in a field, make sure that you don't do it near a water course or a drain. I suppose overall, the recent EPA water quality report didn't really paint a very good picture for Tipperary. So everyone will need to take more of a conscious effort to try and do their bit to improve water quality in their locality. That listener as well is Roshan McManus, who is... Walsh Fellow and uh, is in the Nina office in Chagas here in the county. My next guest this morning is John Daly and John is the research and innovation manager with Dairy Master down there in Kerry. And you may or you may not know that just after winning one of a high tech award that was presented last weekend, John is going to tell us about that and maybe a little bit more about any developments that have happened down in Kerry and Dairy Master over the last number of months. Good morning, John, and thanks for joining us. Good morning, Jim. Okay, John, this award, will you tell us a little bit about it, please? Okay, so the award was uh, it's the Multinational uh, of the Year Award as part of the Tech Leaders Award. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Tech Leaders Awards are held usually annually, but obviously with COVID, they hadn't happened in a, in a couple of years. But uh, there's two organisations that have came together. There's um, Kerry SciTech yeah. uh, and IT Cork, and they're both organisations that were both set up to um, I suppose shine a spotlight on technology companies in their respective regions. And the two organisations have now actually decided to um, join forces under the banner of the Tech Industry Alliance. And um, so last Friday night was the the Tech Leaders Award uh, programme driven by the two organisations. And uh, there were a number of award categories. There was probably over 100 companies had uh, applied um, across the different categories. And um, we uh, were awarded the, the Multinational of the Year Award which is basically, it's an award that's given to a multinational company with a substantial presence in the Southwest region that have shown a commitment to the future growth of the technology sector in the Southwest. Right, and of course, uh, I know from uh, talking to Dairy Master over the number of years that awards are something that you're not new to, but they're something that you place a lot of uh, emphasis on. We do. Um, awards, it's nice to get the recognition. It, mm-hmm. it shows, uh, I guess, what you're doing and um, it, I suppose it helps give the recognition. But it's probably more, 
it's an indicator of really, you know, the, the technology and the developments and so on that we have uh, here in Kerry in our headquarters that we're putting behind our product development. And th the words are not to be all in the end all. The most important thing, obviously, is delivering value and delivering benefits to our customers. Um, and, and the awards just show that we're taking a scientific approach and we're applying technology to do that and to really, you know, to help the dairy farmer um, develop, manage their farm uh, in a sustainable manner and in a in a manner that will really help them, I suppose, grow their business. Right. And, uh, of course, uh, you said multinational, so that uh, means, of course, that you're in other countries other than Ireland. And I'm just looking at a press release here. You're in the UK, Germany, the Netherlands and the US. How, uh, you know, how is the business going in those particular markets? Yeah, business is, is very good. Uh, mm -hmm. We've had, um, uh, you know, exports from probably from about 1990 or before it, but uh, I think in 1990 is when, uh, now just before my time with Dairy mm -hmm. Master, but that's when the company started exporting uh, in, in a real uh, manner. And, you know, exports have grown since then. So, you know, some of the markets you mentioned there where, where we have uh, presence and we have operations, they would be very important markets for us and have been over the, the last number of decades. Um, Ireland is probably still our most important market. It's our home market and it's one where, you know, we have very good contact with the customers in terms of the way, from a product development point of view and from a relationship with the customers. But the exports have been growing uh, continually over the, the you know, the, I've been, I'm with Dairy Master now 12 years and in that time exports have continued to grow uh, right throughout that time. And, you know, that's obviously important for us as a company uh, to grow the exports into the other markets. And, you know, over the time we've seen as well a, a shift in, in markets. So, you know, some markets they may have, for example, like the grant scheme that we've had here with the TAMS grant. Some markets may have that and that market could be up for a couple of years. But overall, uh, exports have grown and continue to grow. And we see that as being an important uh, for the future development of the company here. You mentioned TAMS, John. TAMS has been good to you, I, I imagine, because uh, it uh, encouraged the Irish dairy farmer to expand. TAMS has been good for, for Irish dairy farming. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, you know, we, we had seen, obviously, the if we go back to 2015, when it was well telegraphed in advance that the quota was going to be abolished, mm -hmm. there was uh, a, an expansion and a modernisation of uh, dairy farming uh, in Ireland uh, in, in the couple of years before that. But I think it is important to remember and to look at the TAMS uh, the acronym itself mm -hmm. is, is Target Agricultural Mechanisation Scheme. And the focus on it has been uh, modernising the, the, the dairy farms that are there. You know, so this has led to you know, great benefits, I would say, on the dairy farms that have upgraded their equipment in terms of um, uh, milk quality, uh, animal welfare, labour, uh, reducing the, the stress levels on, mm -hmm. on the farmers themselves and allowing farmers to deal with labour shortages uh, while at the same time obviously growing their business. Would you then have concerns, you know, because I suppose dairy farming is coming under some pressure with regard to uh, the environmental side of it and the likelihood or maybe there's uh, it's probably very likely that in the next number of years there may be some reduction in the national herd. I think, to be fair to 
Irish dairy farmers, mm. they are very good on the environmental side already when we look at how they perform and how they benchmark against other parts of the world. And we can certainly see from our business in other parts of the world outside of Europe where you don't have the family farm type structure that we're familiar with, that, that some of those countries are, are driving on and don't have the same restrictions that, that uh, Irish dairy farmers are, are being faced with here. And I think we also need to, to recognise that, you know, rather than uh, pointing at dairy farmers as being part of the problem, that we, we need to see them as being really as part of the solution in terms of uh, what, you know, the work that needs to do to, to be done for the environmental um, developments that we, that we need to implement. And I think Irish dairying can be a strong part of that. We have probably the lowest or one, certainly one of the lowest carbon footprints in terms of per litre of milk produced. And we need to remember as well that Ireland, the, the dairy produce from Ireland is a very significant part of our GDP and a very significant part of our exports. And, you know, when, when we as consumers are uh, consuming fossil fuels, we're, we're um, I suppose, hit with carbon tax or whatever as part of that consumer. Whereas the, the dairy farmer here has also been targeted but the consumption isn't happening here. You know, other countries are producing other products and we're importing them. Our uh, success here has been able to produce dairy produce, produce it uh, high quality, sustainably. And that's, you know, an important part of our exports. And um, we we need to look at uh, the Irish uh, dairy farming industry as, you know, part of the solution and help the farmers to, to uh, you know, make whatever investments might be needed but, and to get whatever help might be needed to further improve the, the carbon footprint uh, of the milk we produce, but still recognise that, you know, that is very low on a world scale compared to what, where, where other markets are at. And, of course, uh, dairy master products are helping the farmer to battle against some of that. that of that, there's no doubt. Uh, John, before I let you go, I know you're always looking for new skilled employees and particularly on the tech side. So how successful have you been over the last number of years to be able to attract young, high-skilled, high-tech graduates to go and work for Dairy Master? Yeah, so one of our key strengths, I guess, is that we have and we employ a diverse range of engineering skills mm-hmm. and manufacturing capabilities across a broad range of disciplines. So mechanical, electrical, civil engineering, welding, plumbing, electricians, injection molding, tool making. Mm-hmm. We have a broad range of between uh, our engineering side, our product development, um, our, our manufacturing uh, factory itself, uh, our service installation, fitting crews. And we've... Um, had a number of steps to uh, help us, I suppose, compete in the job market and to attract uh, people into the, the company here. And, you know, some of those is, you know, graduate programs where mm-hmm. we're helping to graduates come in to get a chance to experience different parts of the company. We also have a very strong uh, presence in apprenticeships and we have seven different types of apprenticeship running here in the business. So this is where we're looking for people that, you know, college is maybe not the road for them, mm-hmm. but it's uh, it's hands-on skills. It's where their strengths are. And, you know, they can still come in to us, use and develop those strengths and get a, a recognised qualification as part of that. And that can be across, you know, it could be cybersecurity, it could be sales, it could be welding, electrical tool making, refrigeration, air conditioning. There's a whole range of, of uh, routes there for, for people to come into it. We're constantly looking for skilled people 
So whether that be skilled in terms of their ability with their hands uh, or uh, or skilled in terms of you know a, a, an engineering qualification in be it mechanical, software, electrical, or whatever, and we, we need those people in in all areas of our business. And we're really you know we have been looking for for to grow the team uh, across the board. And we see that you know as we develop our own production process here and our own manufacturing process, we are looking for people, for higher skilled people. So you know whether it be with hands-on skills or with engineering uh, qualifications looking for, for them all across the board. So if there's somebody out there listening to us this morning, John, and think that they might have the qualifications that would suit Dairy Master, I suppose all they've got to do is drop you a CV? Absolutely, yes. Yes, mm. we're all as, uh, open to CVs coming in. And, you know, even if we we may not have a, a role, a specific role advertised at the moment, mm-hmm. We, we a lot of times we do get CVs that people would send in on spec. Yeah. In other words, they're just, uh, you know, I'm interested in dairy farming and I've got XYZ skills. Have you got some role suitable? Quite often we will get those CVs and we look and say, right, we're not advertising for that role at the moment, but actually that person seems interesting. We'll have a conversation with them and quite often we'll actually end up hiring them. Okay, well, look, before I let you go, a big congratulations again on winning this uh, multinational high-tech award. That listeners was John Daly, who is the Research and Innovation Manager with Dairy Master. Listeners, my next guest this morning is Larkin Roach Kelly, and Larkin is the Agribusiness Editor with the Farmers Journal. And some of you may be aware that uh, they published a very interesting booklet article in the journal this week with regard to agribusinesses and particularly the contributions that the uh, agribusiness makes to rural communities. And Larkin is with me to talk about it. Good morning, Larkin, and thanks very much for joining us. Good morning, Jim. Great to be here. From your perspective... What is the most outstanding element of your normal Irish Farmers Journal KPMG Agribusiness Report? But what stood out to you the most? Um, I think, I think like, this is our 10th annual KPMG Irish Farmers Journal Agribusiness Report. And we were trying to look at, um, kind of when we were to figure out what we're going to write, but we said, like, let's, let's just let's have a deep dive into um, some parts of the Irish, econ- Irish rural economy and see what the actual numbers are because like we all know everyone knows farming is the most important indigenous industry in ireland it's very important for our entire culture very important for exports very important for so much stuff but like we need to kind of be able to put a price on it let's put a price on it and we figured the best way to do it because kpmg are really good at this kind of work and they said if we pick a couple of towns and do a really in-depth job on four or five or six four or five towns around the countryside and then we can extrapolate that out to a national level we want. So I suppose the thing that surprised me is that I knew it was big, but when we put all the numbers together, you see how big it actually is. That's a surprise because it's like we hear nationally, I suppose, about the big kind of companies, the idea you could bring in like the, the Googles and the Facebooks of this world. But farm agriculture knocks them all into a cocked hat when it comes to economic impact and employment within the country. Yeah, and I suppose one of the things that, strikes me then when you say that that that's really not recognized well i think that's one of the big things that we, why we did the report because like farming is lots of very small individuals or families running small businesses and then those small businesses feed into slightly larger businesses that are generally based close by 
And that's where we so that's where we looked at the towns like Enniscorthy, Cavan, Charleville, and Banny Hunts Republic, and Cookstown, north of the border. Because these towns are kind of not on anyone's mental map of Ireland. When you when you have a map of Ireland, you think, oh, we think Dublin and Cork and Limerick and Galway and Sligo and places like that. But you don't think of these smaller towns that are absolutely the backbone of the rural economy. So when a euro was spent by a farmer um, in his local town, it's not people don't really see it very much. It's no big kind of shiny office building somewhere in, in Docklands in Dublin to say this money is moving and this money is important. So that's again why the job of work we did here to show how much money is there that maybe you don't see it and maybe you need to show it a bit more. So here we are showing it to you. The Irish agriculture industry produces billions of euro every year, employs tens of thousands of people, and it really needs to be looked after. And when I'm looking at a snapshot now of the towns that you that are in this particular report, Charleville comes out as the one with the highest number employed. Is that because Charleville is in the middle of the dairy industry as far as Ireland are concerned? Maybe people up in Kilkenny might argue that with me, but, you know, we're down there in Charleville, the Golden Vale, dairy is big business. Dairy is definitely big business in Charleville. Like if you look at the numbers, Charleville produces 1.7 billion euros per year into the Irish economy. And if you're going to beef dominate a place like Ballyhonas, where beef is the big industry, you're at 700 million. Still a substantial number, but one billion smaller than Charleville. And it is, I think two things are at play. First of all, that yes, that, that it's in the hearts of Golden Vale. You've got good land, you've got dairy, and dairy is a much more cash-rich business because dairy farmers, the, the money going in and out of dairy is, is a multiple of what you see in, um, in sucker farms. But also, I think that because Charleville has such a long tradition of being um, that kind of, you know, that, that big dairy place, like the industry is really very mature there. But what I mean, like 30 years ago, Golden Vale was there and they had a, 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 a well, they, a, the stories we heard when doing the research was Golden Vale had a stainless steel um, fabrication plant where they used to make the piping and stuff for dairy farmers to put into their um, their parlours. They closed that down 30 years ago, but the skills that were there amongst the guys working stayed in the area because all the guys that worked for Golden Vale set up their own little places. And now there's five or six or seven guys doing doing this kind of work, stainless steel tanks and stuff for Charleville, for the Republic of Ireland and for across Europe. So you have this kind of this multiplier effect over a long term period where you get this high value industry that creates other high value industries around it. So you get this clustering effect and that clustering effect is what leads to the, the high growth in Charleville. Okay, you went to every single province in Ireland. So again, you went north of the border for the uh, for Northern Ireland, and again, very uh, you know very impressive figures. Yeah, and again, like Cookstown is like Northern Way. We got like this kind of pig and poultry centre there. So what we tried to do as well, rather than just go geographically as well, we tried to catch each kind of farming, each bit of farming in the country. If that makes sense. So in Ballyhonas, we beef in Charleville. As you said, we dairy in in Escorty, We kind of it's more tillage on that side. Cavan is a real strong mix of everything, and North Border in, in Cookstown. Then they've got the pig and the poultry area there. So we're trying to kind of say, okay, different geographic areas have different types of farms. So they kind of need different supports. Like there is a real thing with, um, I suppose, policy making that they try to do a one size fits all kind of um, policy with support for things. And maybe you need kind of slightly more targeted things for different areas because different areas have different needs. Right. Now, looking at the survey responses to the challenges facing the sector, I suppose the one, two, three and four there are no surprise to anybody. 
Absolutely. Well, I think the, the number one this year, if you ask anybody, what's the biggest problem in any business anywhere this year? And they will tell you it's inflation. And that's exactly what a survey is showing. 96% of people say input costs are a real problem. And I think they're a real problem for two reasons. First of all, obviously, if you're paying the input costs, that's bad because your costs go up. But also for looking at it from an economic growth perspective, the three things that are gone up are the three Fs. We call them the feed, fertilizer, and fuel. And I think with those, like when a farmer pays for diesel, or a farmer pays for fertilizer, that money he pays for, that leaves the local economy. That goes to wherever that fertilizer was made, which is somewhere in Europe or somewhere in America, or, or goes where the diesel was refined, which again, normally in Europe, or sometimes in America at the moment, it used to be in Russia. So the, the thing we have there is you have euros that are leaving the local economy. And that's kind of what we don't want. We want the euros to stay in the local economy as much as, they, as we can, because the more euros the farmer spends in his local area, the more employment will be in the local area which is a very positive thing we look for. But also because yours have been spent in the local area, you're not seen on the national level, which is, again, why this report exists. I think the other thing I'd like to just flag on the risks, yes. I think the the, the, form of the, the, the the getting people into farming, getting young farmers to join the industry is what's highlighted at risk by several people. And it is, I think, one of the really critical policy responses that I think is definitely more help is needed on that side. Because farming is still seen as a low income, long hours, um, dirty, lonely job, and it needs to kind of the outlook on these things, but also the supports for young farmers who need to be much more kind of focused on getting young people in because the average age of farmer, as we know, keeps rising in the country, and that's not sustainable. Because if we start losing farmers, everything else falls apart. Because this entire rural economy, as you see these big numbers out, they're all based around farming, and if the farmers go, everything else goes as well. And I'm looking at the results of that as well, and I'm kind of surprised at the fact that the reintroduction of a proper farm retirement scheme didn't feature in that. Well, I suppose that the, 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 those, those were responses we got from people, so yeah. maybe... And I think one, one thing that did come up then that was like, like a lot of people saying, like rather than having people farmers rent out land to maybe have more land for sale, which mm-hmm. again, that, that's a, that'll be a difficult one to change, I'm sure, in the short term. But because like, as you know yourself, like you know, the idea of selling land is uh, an about to a lot of farmers, no matter what age they are. But it is just something so bizarre, like the barriers to entry into farming are really quite high. Unless you're, unless you're a farmer in the family, it's very hard to start into farming from scratch. And maybe that's something that could be looked at as well. But there should be some kind of, you know, government grant for starting out farmers, they can actually help them buy some land or something. But we'll see. I won't hold a breath on that one, I don't think. Right, Theo. Well, look at uh, Larkin. We'll leave it for this morning. Thank you ever so much for joining us here on Tip FM. That listener was Larkin Roach Kelly, who is the agribusiness editor with the Irish Farmers Journal. Listeners, uh, I suppose nearly three months ago, I was up in Nicker of all places where they were going to do a cycle for Embrace Farm. Twelve cyclists uh, were going to do the Ring of Kerry uh, to raise money and you may remember that on that particular evening I spoke uh, to Caroline from Embrace Farm and Caroline is back here again, not this time in Nicker but we're in Palace Green uh, when there's going to be a presentation of in excess of 16,000 euros that was collected on this cycle and I'm going to ask Caroline first to talk to me what will 16,000 do for Embrace Caroline? Hello Jim and thanks for having me on um, it's it's a ph- phenomenal amount of money and uh, you know full credit to all, all who partake in the cycle um, and we are very grateful 
for this amount of money will help so many families throughout the country. Um, it will provide peer-to-peer -peer supports that's connecting families um, with other families that have been through similar situations. Um, we provide residential weekends for both women who have lost um, a partner uh, through a farm accident or through um, a sudden heart failure, cancer, you know, health mm -hmm. issue or a suspected suicide on farm. So we, we provide residential weekends for these ladies. It's an opportunity to get get them all together, a, a little break away from the normal routine um, and we have we bring our on-site counsellor with us as well and we do this for families as well, um, the residential weekends along with um, the yearly remembrance service. So this amount of money will help so many families. So this is part of the new service? The new service, um, yes. Um, the new service, we are, we're also providing um, the one-to-one -one counselling, the free counselling and the free practical supports, which are legal, uh, financial and farm advice. And that is funded by the Department of Education uh, or the Department of Agriculture um, through the EIP programme. Right. Is that part of the EIP programme that's going on in about five areas across the country? Uh, there's one that takes in Tipperary, Cork and Wexford? Yes, yeah. yes. There's a, new, a, a yeah, number of... That Neve Nolan is the coordinator that's in this right. part yes. particular part of yes. the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah there's so, great EIP programmes um, yeah. going on throughout the country. So we're hoping now... Um, you know that we'll get to continue and, and continue funding next year to be able to uh, provide that service for families. Okay, I also have with me, with me uh, he came to collect the money, uh, Willie Fahey, now Willie I was is better known for his days with IFAC accountants, he's an accountant retired now of course, and you may remember years ago I spoke to Willie as well because he brought out the history of IFAC uh, what about four years ago, Willie? About that, yeah. Yeah, yeah about yeah. the history of IFAC. Have you written any books since? I have, uh, <laughs> Jim. I, I, I wrote a book, I published it, self published it about um, two, just two, three years ago now. Yeah. And uh, during lockdown, I wrote another book and I hope to publish it in the spring of uh, next year. Three Sister Communications, I'm speaking with them at the moment. Yeah. And hope to publish it in, in probably the spring, in the spring coming, spring of 2023. Okay, so we well, didn't get around to saying now you're the treasurer and you came here uh, of Embrace Farm and you came here. Uh, be with the gang on the presentation night, but of course, as I said to Caroline, the money is very important to you. The money is very important, but I'd also say, Jib, as a start out, uh, Father Tomás, Tomás and myself come up from the fame, same parish of Killinall and Maidlass, so we go back a long way, and the Fahey family and the O'Connell family, you know, we were close friends back over the years, and I went to school with, uh, with Tomás' uh, cousins, and he went to school with my brother and so on, so we go back a long way, and also... Uh, Father Tomás is a member of Midtip Hillwalkers, and you, you, you know all about Midtip Hillwalkers, Jim. You soldiered with us for a long, long time, and so on. 
So anyway, we've been away for weekends over the years, and just earlier this year, Father Tomas said to me, Willie, do you know of any any uh, charity? I'm thinking of, of, of raising money for a charity. And before he had the last word spoken, I knew what I was actually going to say. Yes, I said, I know an, an excellent one, and that's actually Embrace Farm, because I'm actually a treasurer of it. And just out of that, actually, Tomas, and I was absolutely delighted that uh, Tomas took it on board. And I think the figure tonight, uh, Jim, has gone over 16. In fact, I think it's gone over 17,000 at this, at this point yeah. in time. So that, that cycle that he did with his colleagues um, here in, in, the, in the parish of, of, of Palace Green that he did, that cycle he did at the Ring of Kerry, that's the proceeds of it. And as Caroline actually said, going to a very, very good, good, very good cause. Good cause. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the organisation then that the Rowans have built up over the number of years, and I've been talking to Brian every single year, uh, uh, since uh, Embrace Farm was founded. Is the organisation growing the whole time? Yeah, it is. It's my, um, it started, I, I think it was 2014, yeah. as, a, as a fledgling organisation, and it's grown significantly over the years. Mm. And I think, Carolyn, you actually mentioned the communal service, which is which is held in, in Abbey Leaks. And that's actually huge, and it's actually our RT that's actually televised as well. And uh, it is worthwhile people actually going along to that communal service because you can see the depth of emotion because everybody there has had a loved one that they've actually lost. And they're, 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 like, a, they're like a little community themselves. Now, a community that, that has actually fallen into that they didn't mean to be in, yeah. but by, by way of actually circumstances they fall into a community. They might not all know each other, but they are a community. They're, they're a more, if it's like a mourning community. Yeah. And and, uh, and that's one of the, that's one of the big uh, things that Embrace actually farm does every, every every actually year. Yeah, Caroline, come back to you. Anybody who loses a loved one, on uh, you know, as the result of a farm accident, they really never get over it, do they? No, I think it's um, it's something that over time you, you learn to live with, with it. it. Do you know, yeah. it, it's not something um, that you ever forget. Or, but the hope is that you will learn to um, learn to live with it and bring them with with you. Do you know, along as you move on through life, they they will always be with you. Do you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah. And the one-to-one camaraderie that are, is between uh, people who have lost that helps them to. Uh, I suppose to bear the pain and make it that much easier yes absolutely they find you know meeting other families because no one will understand only someone who has been through something similar you know and they do they gain strength from each other Mm -hmm. and there would be some families who are that bit further down the line, you know, and they kind of embrace the new the new families coming in and the support um, is there. And it gives hope to new families who have just found themselves in this, you know, tragic situation that there is hope, you know, there is there is life after it. Um, so the, the connecting these families is a huge part. OK, we'll look at Caroline and Willie. Thanks very much for having a chat with me uh, on this very important evening for Embrace Farm. And following on from my uh, few words with Caroline and with Willie Fahey, I, I now have one of the cyclists, Noel Buckley. Noel, who is now living in Clanmel, but would have been better known as living in our own parish of Holy Cross, Noel, what was it like? 
It was absolutely fantastic. We were blessed with the weather. It was one of those two days where it wasn't too hot. Mm-hmm. And from a cyclist point of view, you didn't have strong winds, which was a, a dream. But what made the cycle apart from the beautiful scenery you were cycling through in the Ring of Kerry was the people. They were an absolutely fabulous group of people. There was no egos to be massaged. Everybody was travelling at their own speed. There was no such thing as we're all going at the same pace. And there was great banter and great connectivity with people. And we did it leisurely over two days. As you'll know, the Ring of Kerry is often done in one day, the whole 180 kilometres. So we were blessed that way. It was nice and relaxing. OK, and was there any reaction from, as you went through some of the villages or the towns on the Ring of Kerry? Oh, yeah, there was great support along the way mm-hmm. and um, great hospitality. In fact, one place we called into when they heard we were cycling for the charity Embrace, tea and coffee was given to us, no charge. So <laughs> absolutely uh, fantastic and really appreciated that people would put themselves out uh, time-wise to do that. And we had people from 16 years of age to 70-plus on the cycle, so we had a great age range. And that's what I loved about it at night time when people met it was an intergenerational uh, experience of people sitting and dining together and sharing stories and banter. Right, and of course the youngest cyclist is one presenting uh, the big check Check tonight. tonight. Yeah, we've raised over 17,000 on it, which is a fantastic achievement. And I'm sure it'll support a lot of families. And even since I was talking to you before the cycle, uh, poor Paddo Purcell above an upper church is another yeah. tragic victim of, of an accident. Little did I think, actually, he passed through the village. It happened to be an upper church, taking up a group of walkers there the day he was killed. And uh, 8 yeah. o'clock that night, I got the news, my God. I know. He'd been killed so there, but for the grace of God, go any of us. It just shows how fragile we all are, oh, really. Oh, we are, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, any time we could be a potential victim. So farm safety, I suppose, the standards have improved compared to years ago. But there's all, always the unknown variables, as I say. Yeah, and as well, talking about farm safety... Uh, thanks for the God 2022 and I know we're not finished yet has been one of the better years it has yeah thankfully thankfully but as I always say you have the list of tragic deaths in any year but what you don't have and I'm sure the Health and Safety Authority has it is the many near misses I know of four families this year where members of their family had very near misses were just fortunate that they weren't one of the tragic uh, deaths of 2022. Yeah, the last time we were talking it was way back, I think, at the end of yeah, July or yeah. whatever the case may mm. be, and we were talking about the near misses, mm. uh, you know, after the uh, after the, the grub or whatever we had up mm. in Nicker, mm. uh, that, you know, we all, we lived on a farm like you, you yeah, and I lived on a farm, it, yeah. and we grew up on a farm, and we all had near misses. Mm. Certainly, and even a simple thing, like yesterday with my brother, we were handling cattle, bringing them in from the fields mm. for the winter, and, you know, if your reflexes aren't fast enough and a bullock is bolting there, you can be floored very easily. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it isn't just all about machinery. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the simplest things, and sometimes accidents are very simple. Yeah, tell me this. 
if Tomás decides to do this again next year, will you be on it? Oh yeah, certainly, <laughs> certainly. Yeah, it's a great way. It's a great way of keeping fish and uh, coming off a of Kumakishta. <laughs> I felt very young when I discovered that, that for ten kilometres, that a twenty-five-year-old from the national hockey team who was trying to pass me out but failed to pass me out. So <laughs> I came off the ring of Kerry feeling very young. Okay. <laughs> well, look at Noel. Well done to yourself and yeah. your uh, eleven comrades that were on that particular mm. cycle. Yeah, and I and think it was a fantastic uh, I'd like to also thank the general public and the various businesses around Prairie who were very generous in their support and as I said it's for a very worthy cause uh, to support those families out there who are dealing with the tragic loss of a member. That listeners is Agriport for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll join me at the same time next week for another Ag Report on Tip FM. Coming up next is the news at 10 o'clock. And after that, Eamon Dewire presents Down Your Way.